Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Renegade bringing in this edition of Kevin's Corner. Jolie Molinero's got to love that introduction to this version of the podcast. For those of you that don't know, that is a very popular song that the Steelers faithful inside of Heinz Field will be hearing on Sunday before kickoff, and we'll see how many times we hear it during the game. That's probably largely up to the Colts and how they play against the Steelers. One of the best environments in the NFL, Colts and Steelers. Sunday afternoon at Heinz Field. Joey Monero and Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. I, I, I distinctly remember a Chuck Pagano press conference back, Colt Steelers days, where he just went on a renegade rant for like a minute or two describing just how great of an environment. It You know, as much as he hated it when he was Baltimore-Pittsburgh, right. you just love that those sorts of road atmospheres. It doesn't get any better than that. Right, and uh, I'll be there on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I will be in attendance with the family. I'll be sitting right uh, above the tunnel where the Steelers enter the field uh, on the open end zone, open side of the end zone. So, yeah, if you want to follow along, at Molinardo on Instagram, I'll be posting stories and everything like that. But, yeah, Kevin, it's it's uh, it's a great, great environment, and I know the Colts talked about that yesterday about – you know, they've, they've been there in Arrowhead at a great environment, and now they're trying to do the same in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, I found it interesting. For one, Jacoby Brissett made sure the offense was reminded that in Arrowhead they didn't have a single pre-snap penalty, which is obviously something they love to duplicate again Sunday afternoon. And then Frank Reich admitted that he thought about talking to his team a little bit about the history of these two franchises and what Heinz Field is like and all of that. But then Frank Reich remembered that, you know, his grandbaby a few weeks ago is wearing her one and shirt, and that he needs to stick to that to that mantra. So it, it's at least in the minds of the Colts, even their very um, even keel head coach. And I, I had forgotten. And history has little to do with obviously what's going to happen. Maybe nothing to do with what's going to happen Sunday. But I I forgot this. But Jim Irsay frequently reminds people of this, especially when the Steelers are on the schedule. The Colts have won in Pittsburgh. One time in the last 50 years. I remember it well. One time. Peyton Manning, yep. 2008. Uh, the only time they have won in Pittsburgh. I think they're 1-14 in, in their last 15 trips to obviously a couple different stadiums. But, um, yeah. Yeah, the old uh, loft uh, wheel route to, uh, I believe, Dominic Rhodes. Dominic Rhodes, right yeah. Scored about Troy Polamalu. Three minutes to go. Wow, yep. Joey, a terrific memory uh, for a game 11 years ago. And then in all these past meetings, we we think of the Colts as having like great quarterback continuity. They haven't started the same quarterback in any of these games. Yeah. Yes, Pittsburgh has shredded them offensively, and none of those guys will be on the field, or at least none of the main culprits from a skill position standpoint will be on the field. But it was Manning to carry Collins, and he got hurt, and it was Curtis Painter, and then it was Luck, and then you had Hasselbeck in there for a game. You had Scott Tolzien start a game when Luck had, had the concussion night. Yeah, on that short week here at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, and then lastly, Jacoby Brissett started against Pittsburgh a couple years ago. Um, 
But this is obviously a very new-look Steelers team. It was actually nice to watch the Monday night game and see the next two opponents for the Colts, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure you were sweating a little bit of bullets Oof. there early in that game. <laughs> I I had kind of forgotten Pittsburgh's got a ton of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, yes they do. Like er- Every level mm-hmm. has somebody that makes you think, whoa, wow, that guy would look <laughs> look good in blue and white. Yeah, and in the offseason they, they signed Steven Nelson, a free agent, uh, from Kansas City, he's come over and I believe has had the lowest completion percentage uh, when targeted in the NFL. So Should we expect shadow role T.Y. Hilton or maybe not that like we saw with Chris Harris? Uh, last well, week. it's interesting because you got Joe Hayden on the other side as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't expect a shadow role from Nelson on Hayden. Right. Maybe, maybe um, Nelson on Hilton. Yeah. Nelson on Hilton. Um, no, no, no. Uh, Hayden, I'm sorry. Hayden on, on Hilton. He usually takes those kind of matchups. Uh, but then they traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, obviously, and he's had four picks since he's come over. So, yeah, Kevin, I mean, the additions in the offseason, they've built up front for the past eight years in the draft, and it's really starting to pay off. Yeah, you know, it's something where I've looked at their defense and offense, and we'll, we'll get into things I learned here in a little bit, talk a tr- some trade deadline, talk uh, Rocky Yassine, the those sorts of things, Quincy Wilson, Deion Kane being – inactive and hit on Twitter questions but you know focusing here on the Steelers for just a few more minutes when you look at their defense they're really above average in just about every meaningful category and the category that stands out more than everything is takeaways yep they're second in the NFL with 19 and you flip over the offense they are honestly beyond below average in virtually everything Mm -hmm. but they protect the quarterback better than anybody in the league they are first in sacks per pass attempt. Um, so it's very two different things. It's really feast or famine on offense, too. They'll yeah. hit on a 40, a 45-yard touchdown, but that'll come after three straight drives of, you know, mm-hmm. gaining 16 yards combined. So And, and injury-wise, you know, we'll monitor James Conner the rest of the week where he looks, um, you know, from an AC joint injury that he suffered late in that Monday nighter. Um and something that we mentioned on on Monday's podcast, uh, which is probably maddening to you, Joey, but it's just the disparity in wins and losses for the Steelers team. It's the fact that they have won three games, and their three wins are over teams that are three and twenty, and their four losses, which they were competitive and pretty much. Three well, of three of the four losses. The one against the Patriots game, they weren't. No, but Seattle, Baltimore, and Sam Fran were. Three One possession games combined right? by less than ten points. Yeah, and, and obviously those four teams that they've lost to, their records are like twenty-five and four combined. Yeah. So, um, I think some people were surprised to see Pittsburgh favored by one. Obviously, it's kind of like the Texans a few weeks ago with the Colts. The Colts are the better team, but the home field advantage gives Pittsburgh that 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 extra three points there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really really good game on Sunday. Uh, obviously the keys for the Colts certainly will be continue to protect the football, and we'll get into a little bit of that later in the podcast. All right, man, what did you learn this week? And let's start with the trade deadline on Tuesday at 4 p.m. came and went, and nothing happened from the Colts. And nothing really happened at all around the NFL. Yeah. You know, I felt like there were some very juicy moves in the month of October, but as far as Tuesday was concerned, um, outside of Jamal Adams putting himself in the same category as Tom Brady and Aaron Donald, mm-hmm which was LOL. Self-confidence. Um, you know, it's Something. You know, Aaron Donald would be on the Mount Rushmore of greatest defensive players maybe in this league's history, and Tom Brady would be on the Mount Rushmore of greatest players in this league history, and Jamal Adams can't do anything yeah. um, for the Jets. But 
you know, I had mentioned that I felt like the Colts were in a position to buy maybe more so than years past, but clearly Chris Ballard feels really good about his football team. Uh, you know, I had said on Monday, you wondered if the Ben Banigou emergence in that game on Sunday afternoon against the Broncos, did that maybe lessen yeah. how big of a need you, you feel like that you have you know, um, at that edge rusher position, particularly in the speed department. And, you know, despite having all the resources, cap space, the most in the league, draft picks, you've got nine in 2020, um, Chris Ballard has still, in his entire tenure, now three years as general manager, he has yet to trade a draft pick for a player. Um, He's traded for four players in his career as Colts GM. That was Jacoby Brissett. Uh, for Philip Dorsett, um, I'm trying to think. Was it Daryl Daniels he traded away for Marcus Johnson? Um, traded away Antonio Morrison for a guy by the name of Lindsey Pipkins. Mm. And then was it Lindsay the long Pipkins. snapper? Was it Thomas Hennessy for safety Ronald Martin? I, I think I, I definitely should have looked all those up. But um, basically he's not willing to give a, give up a draft pick for a player. And the argument that I, of course, made is you're starting to get to the point, which is a great position to be in, where not all your draft picks are going to make this roster. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think you might be more willing. And, of course, you can use that draft capital to trade up, like you did with Kari Willis you know, back in April. So it's still a great thing to have. Um, but, yeah, Stan and Pat, no move at DN, no move at receiver. Quincy Wilson, you know, that was kind of floated around as a possibility. I think he still means way too much to this football team, especially if you get into an injury situation. Um, I think he would be needed in a hurry for you. So, um, yeah, no move for the Colts. Not not stunning, but again, I felt like at 5-2 and two, you were in a position to at least entertain, which I know Chris Ballard definitely did. He at least explored a little bit more buying options than he has in years past. On Sunday, we were surprised by seeing Deion Kane and Quincy Wilson on the inactive list. Uh, for the Colts, and then earlier this week you were able to give more insight on why. Yeah, and, and let's let's start with Quincy. Um, that is more confusing to me, Joey, than the Deion Kane. For Quincy, a, as nitpicky as this will sound, but again, this is kind of life and, and building a 46-man dressing roster each week. The reason why I think Quincy Wilson wasn't active on Sunday was because Kenny Moore's back from injury. Kenny Moore's your best slot corner. If Kenny Moore goes down, the Colts needed to have a contingency plan in place, and they valued Shaquille Taylor as the nickel corner more so than they valued Quincy Wilson. That's pretty much what it came down to. I don't think this is a practice disciplinary issue like we've seen maybe for some guys not dressing in years past. Now, that's the issue. That's the reason that I should say. But the issue is this. Quincy Wilson's already getting beat out for a position that we've seen him play before mm-hmm. for an undrafted corner who's been a Colt for a month. Like, that, that is where it is worrisome. It's why some people have thrown out the whole bust label for Quincy Wilson. I'm not going there yet. Two games ago, three games ago, he's playing meaningful snaps against Travis Kelsey. Like, a bust is, okay, three straight weeks of – being inactive and eventually Terrell Basham, you just show up on the on the waiver wire that next day. Yeah, you know Zach Banner, you know, and obviously he's playing a huge role 
for for Pittsburgh as a jumbo offensive lineman right now. But, you know, those qualify as bust. Quincy Wilson is not there yet. Um, so that's what it what it came down to. Um, and, and again, there's something that I said on Monday, and I'll, I'll repeat again. The fact that Shaq Taylor doesn't play a single snap, not one, not oon snap, defensively or special teams, that guy just stood on the sideline. I, you probably have like 2% of corners each year don't play dress and don't play a single snap in a game. Um, so, yeah, I, that's what it broke down to to me for Quincy Wilson. Um, this wasn't so much a special teams thing, but, you know, it, it, it's still – I know he's 23 years old, but this is also a guy that he is on year three of a four-year rookie contract. And we've talked about this before. I think when maybe when we did our annual kind of the five Colts that have the most pressure on them for various reasons, I think Quincy Wilson was on that list, Joey. And he wasn't on the list because of, like, the Colts need him to be a huge value to them in 2019. It was more of like, dude, look at the corner room around you. There are a lot of guys that have a lot more security contract-wise than you do. Mm-hmm. Pierre Desir just re-signed for three years. Kenny Moore just re-signed for four years. Rocky Yassin was a second-round pick. Marvell Tell was a fifth-round pick. Like There are guys that they have invested over you in a way of, like, you've got to prove it that when your second contract comes up, you know, in 2021, when your first contract comes up and you, you know, are in line for a second contract, you've got to prove to the Colts that you're worthy of being another guy at corner that they're going to re-sign to a long-term deal. Um, so that was that's kind of the take on Quincy Wilson. Um, the take on Deion Kane, it just comes down to his offensive role that he had early in the season and certainly had even after Devin Funches went down. They don't value that role anymore. Just the lack of production, which we've talked about. 199 snaps in five games and two catches. Mm-hmm. Um that's no longer there because this guy doesn't play special teams. He doesn't play special teams, which him and Wilson, Wilson plays a little bit of special teams. Deion Kane doesn't play any. So as the Colts round out their, their wideout group right now, they on Sunday went with this. Hilton, obviously. They trust Chester Rogers and Zach Paschal more than they do Deion Kane right now. So those two were the number two and three wideouts. Paris Campbell they thought was going to play around 20 snaps. His package was reduced to about eight snaps for him. Um, just game flow and things like that. Frank Reich contributed. And then their fifth wideout was Ashton Doolin, and he's right now one of their best special teams players. So my question is, okay, what happens in two weeks when Devin Funches is eligible to play? Because now you're in a big-time numbers crunch to the point of if Deion's came, if Deion Kane's name was Kevin Bowen, you'd probably scissor him. Yeah. But the Colts – Obviously, aren't going to cut Deion Kane. I'd be mm-hmm. beyond stunned. But like, that's the reality of what his role is right now. He doesn't give you anything offensively because you clearly have put him on the inactive list, and he doesn't play special teams. So, uh, what you know, what's the value now? There's still potential, and there's still talent, and he's coming off the ACL. And I am not sitting here saying at all you should be cutting him. I am a big Deion Kane guy, but uh, that's just the state of where he's at right now. And 
I feel like we always get this comparison with Deion Kane, Joey, and I'm sure you've you've seen it on on, on Twitter. It's like this is Deron Carter 2.0. Oh uh, yeah. I'm so tired of that lazy, lazy comparison. Couple of things. Deron Carter went to four colleges. Ohio State, cup of coffee, dozen catches, leaves. Coffeeville Junior College. Okay. No. Sticking with the coffee theme. Good. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even try for that. <laughs> um, then he goes to Alabama. Doesn't get eligible. Maybe got kicked. I'm trying to think if he got kicked off the team or something. I don't know. Something. It's Chris Carter's son, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Never, never got on the field for Alabama. Goes to Florida Atlantic. Never gets on the field there. Deion Kane goes to Clemson. 20 touchdowns in three years, wins a national title. It's funny, uh, Dave Griffiths from Fox 59 was asking me yesterday at practice, you know, all this NCAA image and likeness stuff, what Colts player would have benefited the most off his collegiate likeness? Which I think is a really interesting question. Which current Colts player? Yeah. And it, I don't think there's an obvious answer. And I told Dave, probably Deion Kane. Really? Just I mean, because of the program he played for? Program, he and he on. was their best receiver on a national title team. Ryan Kelly's not getting anything from being a center at Alabama. Yeah, neither is Quentin Look, Nelson. I mean, think of, like, Jacoby Bursett and, and Marlon Mack and Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron. I mean, those college teams that those guys were on didn't. Lee Cooker? But Ohio State never won, like, a national title when he was with them. I mean, because. Did he? Did they? Wasn't the first year of the college football playoff? Wasn't he on that squad? I mean, he would have been young, so it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I meant like him as a starter. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, like, like Campbell, Paris Campbell's the other name. But again, those two guys were never, I think, yeah. playing prominent top five player roles for their national team. But basically, what what, what I'm getting at is Deion Gain had a tremendous collegiate career, and then in the preseason, we have seen him deliver and show up in game settings. And this is not media hype driven. The Colts are extremely high on him. Mm-hmm. The most important decision makers in that building are extremely high on Deion Kane. Yeah. So um, it's Thursday. I don't want to make any prediction on if they're going to be active or not for Sunday. I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk. But, um, yeah, that that's kind of a little clarity on, on both those guys. Also on Sunday, we saw the struggles of Colts rookie corner, Rocky Seen. And what was the reasoning behind that that you found this week? So I went back, watched the All-22 film. Um, obviously, we talked to Matt Eberflus, talked to Rocky Cena as well. I talked to him yesterday, and he pretty much summed it up as, when I win early, I win late. When I lose early, I lose late. And that comes down to a lack of technique in press. You lose that leverage, and then you panic. Which is interesting because Rocky Cena has such a great temperament. You wouldn't think of him as a guy that is super panicky at the at the moment of truth or the point of attack, but that's where he gets grabby. And I was talking to Rick Venturi on on, on Monday, and he jogged my memory to an article that I I wrote back in May about Rocky Cena. This is kind of uh, this is after rookie minicamp. So Frank Reich had gotten his first look, you know, mm-hmm, firsthand mm-hmm. at Rocky Scene. And Reich had a lot of glowing things to say about Rock, but he mentioned that he got a little grabby, a little, little, little handsy. So I think that is always something that's been there with Rock. And now it's something to the, to the point of, like, you can maybe get away with it in the, at the collegiate level, 
But if your technique isn't perfect, especially when you're in a shadow role against is Cortland Sutton the top 15 receiver in the league? No, but he's you know he's a nice young wideout. Then you're going to get exposed, and that's what happened. You know, five penalties led to 56 yards, and I went back and watched the six targets because Sutton has three catches on six targets, which isn't like you know all pro. Of the six targets, though, Rock wasn't in coverage on one of them, which was an incompletion. And another one was a ball batted down that was never even intended for Sutton, and somehow they just credited him with the target. So it was more like four targets and three catches. And, you know, when I see five flags, Joey, and I see three catches for 72 yards, like that's, that's god-awful. If you're just looking at a stat sheet, you're like, oh, my gosh. When you go back and watch it, it's not like he's three and four yards away from the wideout. You know, we, we've – we that talk. last call was really, really questionable. I, I agree. I think there were some definite, almost in the back of some of these officials' minds, there's a stigma, I think, already with Rocky Seen. Maybe it was Denver's coaches alerting mm. these these officials of, all right, he's, he's grabby, yeah. he's handsy, watch him. And a couple of those were on Denver's sidelines. So, you exactly. know, that always kind of plays a little bit of a role. For sure. So, I think that played into some of it. Um but there's been all this talk this week about Antonio Cromartie and this and that, and I went back and watched some of the Jacksonville tape from when uh, Antonio Cromartie just was absolutely terrible in that game in, in London. And, I mean, Allen Robinson is just tor- torching it, like creating separation that's just massive. I, don't, I didn't see that play in and play out from Rocky Scene against Cortland Sutton. So, again, I don't think it's like DEFCON ring the alarm, but, you know, this is a reason why you need to keep Quincy Wilson. Pierre Desir is going to be on a very sort of week-by-week basis. They're mm-hmm. trying to get him to 100%, and that's a difficult situation with the, with the hamstring injury. So when you're worried about your top long corner in his health, and now you're worried about Rocky Seen a little bit, this is why you need Quincy Wilson. Um, and then lastly, Matt Eberflus felt like Marvell Tell played pretty well on Sunday. Kind of been an up-and-down start of the year for him in practice, and you know, tell. I was talking to Tell yesterday. He said it's kind of night and day with how he feels about corner because he was a safety in college. But mm-hmm. um, he's a guy right now that is ahead of Quincy Wilson on that depth chart. And if Rock continues continues to struggle, you know, you might have to turn to Marvell Tell. Want to do some Twitter questions? Yes, 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 yes. All right. Well, before we get into Twitter questions, this is via Twitter, Kevin, and one of our loyal. Listeners and followers of the show, David Thrush, him oh, and yeah. Mrs. Thrush, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, he tweeted at us today. They just had a you know, little baby girl uh, named Emery, and they sent a picture. Said um, the mom and the baby are doing well. So, David, big congrats, man! Look at that. Meet the youngest and cutest listener of Kevin's Corner. Yeah, it looks great. I love it. So, I mean, obviously, Emery will be at the next beers with Bowen, right? Yes, of course. We got to make it a you know family friendly place. Which <laughs> we even get some calls about that. Not anything sent stone by any means, but thinking maybe January some point. You know, so if, it's coming up. If the playoffs started today, the Colts would be the two seed. Uh, so maybe an early January sort of beers with Bowen. Again, very tentative on that, but uh, we'll give you some more information once that date gets closer. But yes, congrats to David who's been at both beers with Bowen. Yeah, and I think suggested. I think he was one of the. Uh, he was suggestors of it, so I uh, appreciate you always being a loyal listener, David. From Craig, are the Colts in need of a playmaker to win a championship? Is there really anyone that team specifically game plan to take away, or do you think that could be Brissett eventually? 
Oh, well, I mean, obviously teams are trying to take away T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, yeah. I think we're at nine straight games, Joey, maybe ten, that Hilton hasn't had a 100-yard game, mm. dating back to last season. By far the longest drought of his NFL career. Um, and, and obviously, I think there are several reasons for that. First, the attention that he gets on a weekly basis. Secondly, it's a committed approach to the run game. And third, we just haven't seen him and Jacoby Brissett have the downfield sort of production that him and Andrew Luck obviously were able to have. To win a championship, does this team need another playmaker? I think mm-hmm. that was the question, and I think one, yeah. without a doubt they do. Um, you know, that's the debate that we get, and I posted something earlier in the week. I'm not sure if we have any questions on, like, the Colts playing to their competition or anything like that, but I wrote something um, on 1075thefan.com of, like, okay, the Colts, after seven weeks, they've played to their competition. That's a fact. Like, their point differential is plus seven. The rest of the division has a higher point differential than they do. Uh, If you look at the teams that are currently leading their respective divisions across the NFL, their average point differential is like plus 80, and the Colts are at plus 7. And you can look at it twofold. One, the Colts are playing with fire, and they're being aided by some of the most penalties in the league for their opponents, things like that. Or you can look at it as, the Colts are finding ways to win close games, and that is a something they weren't doing last year. That's a tough skill to sort of have, and when they play the good teams, they are not only playing to that competition, but then they are finishing in winning games. So it, it's kind of a twofold, and I don't want to I don't want to say like playing to your competition is necessarily an entirely bad thing. It's not. There are a lot of positives, especially when the Colts are on the right side of five hundred, like they are three games above. 500, but past history does indicate, and this is league-wide stats that you can look up, teams that routinely live and die in the one-possession nature, it does eventually catch up to you. And so I think I agree with Craig's question that if we're going to talk about, and, and I guess it all comes down to what your expectations are for this Colts team. When you're in the course of the season, I think it's totally fine as a fan to like get thinking, hey, Something special could happen because we, we, we've we talked about it. Opportunities are precious mm-hmm. in this league. But if you're projecting this team as like a deep January playoff, early February sort of run, you've got to start to deviate from consistently one-score games. Good and bad competition. Um, so we'll see here in the second half of the season if the Colts can, uh, can get into more of those games. Colin wants to know, as Funchess gets ready for his return against the Jaguars, will Ashton Doolin get the boot, or will the Colts make a surprise cut? Seems like Ashton has looked like Chris Milton from years past, usually the first one to the punt returner. Deion Kane gets cut due to lack of production and not being on special teams. Your thoughts? Who asked that? Uh, Colin. Great question, Colin. Um, I can't see him cutting. That would be pretty quick to, to give up on there. Yeah. And, you know, as much as the Colts have had hype with Kane and everything, they have mentioned as well that, you know, coming back from the ACL, you've got to remember just because this guy rehabbed very quickly, you know, a year and a half is kind of the safer timetable in terms of getting all the way back. So I don't know what you do at wideout, though, because he makes some great points. Ashton Doolin is kind of Chris Milton 2.0. He's number 16 for those that, you know, don't know who the hell we're talking about. I think he's on their kick block team as well, coming off the edge. Um, that is going to be very interesting to me, what this team does here in a couple weeks. And, and Devin Funch's update, uh, for yeah. those that might have missed it, 
is not practicing again this week, it looks like. So he's been eligible to practice for two weeks, has not practiced. Is that panic? Does that delay his return to the game field? Not necessarily. He's not eligible to play in a game until November 17th, so he could still have two full weeks of practice, but it is just something that's worth monitoring uh, with Funches. From GV Squared, as Peter King ranked him prior to the season, is Jacoby number three on your MVP watch list? Oh, no. No, he's not. Um, Jacoby Reset has exceeded my ex- expectations before the start of the season. He's certainly been a top 20 quarterback in the NFL, but to call him a top three MVP candidate right now would be absolutely ludicrous. Um, again, MVP is your most valuable player. Uh-huh. Like, that means a whole lot. There are other guys around the league to their respective teams that mean more. Um, you know, Rodgers, Wilson, Cook, McCaffrey, Sean Watson. I, I, I don't know who else. I mean, again, we've talked about this before. Nick, Nick Bosa, like you feel like oh, with an undefeated team man. in San Francisco and New England, don't they deserve some sort of MVP candidate? So um, let's not get too hyperbole with Jacoby Brissett. We can acknowledge that he's having a really good start to the season. Um, has probably played. I mean, there are definitely numbers that indicate he's kind of in the middle of the pack in quarterback play. Uh, when you're 5-2 and two and you're the number two seed, I, I think you deserve to be bumped up a little bit, especially with how well he's protected the football. But to call him a, a top three MVP candidate right now, uh, that would be unfair. From Gary, he says, I love Adam Vinatieri, but are we overlooking the obvious because of his past greatness? Do you believe he's the best kicker the Colts could put out there right now? Love the show, guys. Well, I think it's a great question, man. Um, do I say that too much? Do I compliment people on their questions too much? Well, maybe it's what keeps people coming back. I, I, I legitimately think these there are, are, these, are yeah. these are good questions. I'm not trust me because I follow like uh, writers for the Steelers do these kind of things. Like uh-huh. you know, we'll answer people's mailbag questions or whatever, and the questions that are put in there are the most ludicrous, ridiculous, dumb thing. Like. I remember a big thing for two years was like, should we move Ryan Shazier to safety? Huh. Like th- those are the kind of things that show up in that. And so what we get here truly is like people know their stuff. Intelligent group. Yeah. We have an intelligent following. Um, what do you think about the Mike Tomlin question he got asked in the press conference on Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday, I guess it was. Uh, did you think about benching Mason Rudolph for? <laughs> was that somebody from Pittsburgh? It was, yeah. or I think. I yeah, mean, yeah, it was yeah, in his yeah. press conference no, that's setting. That's right. That's true. And yeah. Tomlin's response, like he like looked around the room, just goes next. Yeah. No. Nah, I mean, that's that's per usual. There's always somebody in any market that's trying to stir the pot. But uh, Adam and Terry, yeah. what are you thinking? So how he words that that the first part of the question and saying, you know, are we continuing to go off past? track record with Vinny. Frank Reich has said that. If Bowen was on the back of his jersey and not Vinatieri. Right. I think it's such a delicate situation when you have a 46-year-old athlete because, and I've touched on this before, and I'm going to sound like a broken record to a lot of people, Adam Vinatieri was, by league standards, a below-average kicker in the NFL last year. You're paying him to be a top-ten kicker. He was below average. I think he was 18th in field goal, maybe 22nd in extra points. Those are stats. Those Those are stats. Those are facts. This season, of course, he's been below average, you know, even with the nice kind of month stretch he had there after week two. He still is tied for the league lead and most extra points missed and, and things like that. So I think you can't just continue to say track record, track record, track record. Like, 
what Adam Vinatieri did five or ten years ago is no longer how we have to look at him right now. That doesn't mean that you think he's like the worst kicker in the NFL and you're calling him, okay, uh, you know, let's bring Young Ho Koo, who I saw, and I know it's not how you pronounce his name, but that's the spelling of it. Uh, I saw he got picked up by, I forget who just cut their, oh, Falcons maybe, with with them cutting Matt Bryant. Um, But, and I know I always do this, but I'll do it again. Like, we don't look at Tiger Woods anymore and say, Tiger or the field. Like, either yeah. you're going to bet Tiger or you're going to bet the field. Like, we just don't do that. with right. with When athletes get to a certain point in their careers, how we look at them, it changes a bit. And so I think that's where you have to be honest with your assessment of Adam Vinatieri. Having said that, the second part of that question is the point that I always am just, I don't have an answer for. Could you do better? I, I don't know. If you could do better, like New England is now on their third kicker. Uh-huh. The Falcons just cut Matt, Matt Bryant. There's been kicker outside of Justin Tucker who hasn't had a kicker issue yeah, th- this sure. year. So that is the fairest part of it in saying, like, who else? You have a problem, but could the problem be even greater? And so I think that the the unknown, I think, scares the Colts a little bit of like, okay, well, it's not. This isn't rose petals. Our kicker situation. Yeah. But man, we could have a whole. We could have weeds all over our yard if we if we cut them. You know, the the, the, the that sort of thing. So, um, that's a horrible analogy. But yeah. No, I was I was following. I was picking it up. Thanks, man. From Yash, our guy Yash T. When Drew Bledsoe went down in New England in 2001, how similar was the chatter about him versus Tom Brady when the season was unfolding, and compared to Luck versus Jacoby? I feel like every game I watch, they bring up Andrew Luck, although Jacoby is playing fantastic football. What are your thoughts? Yash, I love you, man. I was, what, Joey? I was 11 years old, 12 eight, years old. So, yeah, you were probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was I was just hoping to get some hair under my armpit. Yep. You know, that's where I was at, Have man. Have the voice drop and stop having it crack. And, right, you know. exactly. Can I talk to the girl in the locker bay and my voice not crack? <laughs> that's where, that was life at, you know, 2001. Um. Why do they bring up Andrew Luck in every national? T- well, it, it's na- it's national. Not everybody watches every single Colts game. A lot of people do, but you also play an opponent, and they will bring up Ben Roethlisberger, I assume, on the broadcast. Huh? They probably will show him on the sidelines a few times on Sunday, and that'll be new to Colts fans and not new to Joey Molinaro. So, uh, it's just easy storylines, guys. Yeah, you know? And it's it's a huge storyline. Like As much as people are like, stop talking. And we, I mean, we, don't, we hardly talk about Luck anymore. Your franchise quarterback calls it quits two weeks before the start of the regular season. It will be a storyline for the entire year. Mm-hmm. It, it it like whether you like it or not, that's the reality of the situation. Are the Colts on Monday Night Football at all? Yes, Saints. against the Saints. Oh dear God, that's. I mean, you guys have watched Monday Night Football. Can I've had the Steelers Tessator? on Monday Night Football twice, and it's not Tessator as much as Booger McFarland. Dude, the I dude feel just, like Booger has regressed. He he has the dude just looks for things to say like it's unbelievable like everything he says in his mind has to be some crazy broadcast just piece of gold yeah and I'm like dude it's not just like watch Chris Collinsworth or like how Gruden did it or hell even how like Theo or Lewis Riddick does it you know like Mm -hmm. there's people out there you just you're having a conversation and you're you're analyzing the game not everything has to be like so on point as a broadcaster like this hyperbole it's insane so long story short 
that week in December when they're down there in New Orleans, Booger McFarland is going to bring that up probably 26 times. Joey Molinaro warning everyone out there of that. I just think, yeah, when when Booger took over in the booth, I'm like, okay, I thought he was good last year as kind of the the sidekick, if you will. But now maybe he's getting exposed a little bit. Going up against Witten, yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, it's like A.B. and Juju, you know? Like Juju <laughs> was rolling and then A.B. leaves and it's like, oh, damn, it's tough being the guy. Yeah, you get, you get exposed a little bit more, so – even I though think Juju uh, did have a good catch on Sunday. Or I think it's Ian Eagle and uh, Fouts again on Sunday for, for fans. Good, that man, Ian Eagle is so good. He really is. Uh, okay, from Logan. He says, forgot to ask on Monday's show, but can we stop trying to block field goals up the middle? Autry got flagged for it again and didn't make a difference this time, but it did week one. With the percentage of field goals being blocked so low, I don't think it's worth the risk-reward. Yeah, I <laughs> Autry and his special teams penalties are just field goal talk. <laughs> yeah, a lot of field goal talk. Um, I don't know. I mean, you you got to get into Autry's head and just be like, dude, you just you can't. Referees are looking for it now, just like the Rocky scene thing. You, you just you cannot touch the snapper. Yes, was it probably a questionable call for sure? Was it as questionable as Week One? Probably not. But uh, yeah. I hear you out on it. It's probably not on my top 40 list of things I'm worried about, though. <laughs> Maybe it should be. I mean, hell, it almost cost us the game. You got to go against TJ Watt and Cam Hayward and Devin Bush, <laughs> but it's funny. It's it's funny. All right, from Garrett, uh, out of all the rookies, who are you most and least surprised by in terms of amount of snaps they're playing? Personally, my expectations are far different than what has played out, but perhaps that's just because of injuries. Okay, most impressed by uh, Kari Willis still. Um, foot injury for Kari. We'll see how that goes. The rest of the rest of the week, the rookie I'm least impressed with so far. I mean, no one has been glaringly awful. I would say, though, I expected based off my expectations, I expected a little bit more from Paris Campbell and then Rocky Scene. I know injuries have played into Campbell, but even when he's been healthy. Um, he's barely touched the football and has not touched it in an explosive manner yet. And Rock, you know, you, you, you got to throw him on there with the amount of penalties in Sunday's game, but I don't want to get too recency biased there. But again, I no rookie's been glaringly horrific, but I think Kari Willis has definitely been the been the best of that bunch. Okay, you got any more over there? It's all I had. No, no, no. I got nothing. Okay. Keys to the game in Pittsburgh. What do the Colts have to do? Yeah, well, let's start with ball security. Um, as we mentioned earlier, Joey, 19 takeaways for the Steelers. Um, boy, there is I, – I, I know I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. There's talent at every level. Almost broke the headphones. Um, there's talent at every level, even without my boy, Stefan Tuitt. Ha, yeah, big uh, loss In there. the mix. And the Colts, and this is heavy praise to Jacoby Brissett, the biggest difference from last year to this year has been protecting the football. Mm-hmm. You're fourth in the league in fewest committed turnovers. And you know Pittsburgh is going to be very, very um, opportune in trying to change that. So uh, that's something Mike Tomlin talked a lot about earlier this week in his press conference. So that's key number one for me. Key number two is pressuring Mason Rudolph. Somewhat mobile? He he can be mobile. He's obviously more mobile than Flacco. Yes. Um, But like I said, Pittsburgh leads the league in fewest sacks per pass attempt. And so when you talk about possibly no James Conner and just the lack of support that Juju has in the pass-catching department, you've got to try and get after Mason Rudolph. Um, This is an offense that, and this goes back to point number one, 
if you make Pittsburgh have to put together four 80-yard touchdown drives to win this game, you're probably going to win it. I just don't, and you know, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I just don't see Pittsburgh being able to do that. Um, that's why the ball security is so critical, avoiding short fields and getting some pressure on Rudolph, and don't let him sit back there and, you know, do what, you know, some of those other quarterbacks did to you last year. I will say real quick, Kevin, just for people who are going to be watching on Sunday, Colts fans who haven't seen a lot of the Steelers so far. Uh, yes, Juju Smith-Schuster is the guy, but a name you will see pop up quite often will be Deontay Johnson. He wears number 18 for the rookie. Pittsburgh Steelers. Rookie, right? He's a rookie out of Toledo. Um, he He's come along, and so just if you're sitting there, you're like, who the hell is this 18? Who the hell is this rookie? The dude can play. He's made some tough catches, and he's really the deep threat for, for the Steelers. And he's a reason why Dante Moncrief doesn't play. Moncrief is working back in slowly, but yes. Oh, and Don Moncrief hasn't helped himself out. Um, no. What was it? Four catches and for 18 yards in the year. Yes. Four catches for 18 yards for Dante Moncrief on 15 targets. Revenge <laughs> game. Dante Moncrief revenge <laughs> game. Let's go. I was looking up the um, the box <laughs> score for the last time these two teams played. Moncrief had a 60 yard touchdown from Jacoby Brissett. Chester Rogers had like a 60 yard touchdown in that game. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. No, no, no. About Johnson, just in case they're like, who the hell is this guy? For sure. Um, trust me, there are some names on that uh, depth chart. I was a little bit like, who are you? Yeah. Um. Lastly, thriving in road environments. You know, history means little, but at the end of the day, Pittsburgh is still a really tough place to play. You know, the Colts are two and one on the road this year. Mm-hmm. You can go three and one. We talked about how difficult this road schedule is. Um, I know that there's been some quarterback injuries, but still, uh, being able to win away from home would be great for this football team. And you know, when you look at this four-game stretch, home to Denver, at Pittsburgh, home to Miami, home to Jacksonville, at Pittsburgh is the toughest game on here. So, um, yeah, I think that is key at number three for me. All right, man, what's it going to be? I really think it's going to be a, another one-possession game. I, that, 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 to me, is um, almost a mo- almost a definite in this game, I should say. I will go with um, – I'm going to go with the Colts. I'm going to go with Colts 24-20. I just don't have faith in the Pittsburgh offense being able to score more than 20 points. Now – where the Colts' defense has really excelled lately has been in situational football. Third down in red zone. They've they've bent, you know, to go back to the old phrase about this defense, but they have definitely not broken, and that is absolutely vital and will be again, of course, on Sunday. I can see Pittsburgh having some times where they move it, but it's sustaining drives and finishing drives that if James Conner is out or doesn't play, I don't know if he's able to uh, – to, this offense is able to provide that. Yep. I'm going to go uh, Colts 27, Steelers 24. Okay. Yeah. So, I just think. Uh, Any yeah, big key you've got that's different than mine or anything that you're going to in particular I mean, being watching? Yeah. I, I I think the job on Juju is huge. He's their one guy that Juju goes seven for 130. That's not good. That, and then I'd say on the other side of the ball, the matchup I'll be watching is TJ Watt versus Braden Smith. <laughs> Uh, T.J. Watt comes off that right side of the line. Bud Dupree comes off the left side. Uh, Bud Dupree is more of the – T.J. Watt does it all. Um, Bud Dupree has gotten after the quarterback more this year, but he is a main run stopper coming off that side. 
Um, so I don't think Costanza will have to worry too much about a pass rush from him as much as Brain Smith will with TJ Watt. And we've seen some exposure, certainly, there on the right side of the line as of late. I think Watt had a strip sack to kind of clinch the game. or Yeah, he had two sacks, a strip sack. And recovered uh, it. <laughs> and recovered it on, on Monday. So. Yeah, he's a bad, bad man. Yeah. So uh, just because J.J. Watt's on IR, the Colts are not done with that family just yet. He's Joey Molinaro. He'll be waving his terrible towel. Don't hate on him. That's his passion. We love <laughs> yeah, passion. Yeah, I picked the Colts, so there you go. Yeah, we all have fandom, so let's not let's not rip the guy for it. He's uh, being a very mature human being. But enjoy the honeymoon. Oh, yeah, I'll week. be out next week. Yeah. Uh, we will miss you on Kevin's Corner. And uh, we, we'll still be back Monday and Thursday next week, um, recapping the Steelers and previewing the Colts' bye week against the Dolphins in, um, in week two. 10. So uh, he's Joel Monero. I'm Kevin Bowen, 1075thefan.com. That's all your Colts content. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.